self-lovers, guess what? I wrote you another book. My new book, 100 Days of Self-Love, is coming to you this fall on November 1st. And this new book is actually a self-love journal with 100 daily prompts to help you calm self-criticism and love who you are. So a lot of it is about self-awareness, self-discovery, and of course, self-compassion. I wrote this journal to be a complement to my first book, The Gift of Self-Love, where The Gift of Self-Love is more foundational and we talk about body image and self-love as a whole. This new journal is more like a metaphorical multivitamin for self-love, so just something to keep you going or growing on this self-love journey. It's divided into six categories, so people, purpose, body, habits, mind, and heart. In total, there's 100 prompts accompanied by little musings, so little love notes from me, things I've been pondering. And what I love the most about this book is that I really wrote this for myself. Like it represents exactly where I'm personally at in my self-love journey. And I'm just so thrilled to be sharing that authentic part of me with you. 100 Days of Self-Love is now available for you to pre-order. Please, please, please pre-order it if you can. It officially comes out on November 1st, but if you pre-order it now, Not only will you be one of the first to get it, but also as a thank you for just being an early supporter of 100 Days of Self-Love, I'm going to send you the audiobook version for free, my gift to you. I'm recording that audiobook version as we speak, and we're still putting it together, but as soon as I'm done with it, hopefully by November 1st, I will send that to you via email. So all you got to do is go to maryscupoftea.com slash journal. All the links to pre-order are there, and you will also see a form for you to fill out with your name, your order number, your email, so that way I can send you the audiobook version when I'm finished with it. The audiobook version is really cool because I personally recorded it, and it's a little bit more unabridged, so you'll hear my commentary, and it's nice to have because you can listen to it while on the go, kind of like a podcast. That way you can listen to the prompts as you think about them. Hopefully you will still pull out your journal and answer the questions that I pose. But regardless, I just hope that this audiobook version can accompany the print version for you so you just get the best of both worlds. Again, go to maryscupoftea.com slash journal. You can pre-order the book on Amazon, Walmart, Target, any other bookstore. And if you're outside of the U.S., check out Book Depository because they have free worldwide shipping. But when you go to maryscupoftea.com slash journal, all the links will be handy dandy there for you. Again, thank you so much for supporting me and trusting me to guide you on this self-love journey. I hope that you love 100 days of self-love as much as I do. Can't wait for you to get it. Welcome to the Mary's Cup of Tea podcast. I'm your host, Mary Jolkowski. I'm an author, speaker, and all-around self-love advocate. And this is the podcast that'll inspire you to love yourself. Hello, my self-lovers. Welcome to another episode of the Mary's Cup of Tea podcast. 
Today, we have a return guest, which is kind of surreal because I feel like that's a big signifier of how long we've been doing this show. And Ariel Astoria has actually been on over two years ago in the depths of the pandemic. So in case you missed that or you don't know who she is, she was raised in foggy Northern California, same here, and now residing in Los Angeles, California. Ariel Astoria is a spoken word poet, a writer and author, as well as an MC, speaker, and actor. Her new book, The Unfolding, is coming spring of 2023. Ariel, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I I feel like I usually have this said to me, but I could listen to your voice all day long. I'm sure you already know that. That's why you have a podcast, but you just have just an angelic and relaxing voice. So thank you for that intro. What? That means so much to me. And that's so timely because just yesterday I recorded the audiobook. So I feel mm-hmm. like my voice is shot and I've been listening to it for nine hours straight. So I really appreciate that. I'm a fan. I'm a fan. Thank you. Makes me feel all sorts of warm (laughs) inside. But this is very cool that you're coming back on the show because I've been a longtime fan, a longtime follower, and it's been so just inspiring to watch you grow from the outside looking in. But I'm excited to have like more of an inside look into your work, your life, your musings, and your teachings because you have such a beautiful way with words and Mm. with your voice, which I'm sure you get all the time as well. Thank you. And I want to build on our conversation from the previous episode, which for our listeners is episode 21. Once you get addicted to Ariel, I highly recommend (laughs) you go listen to that one. But back then, we really talked about your work as a creator. And I do want to build on that. But I also want to circle back to the topic of body image, which we didn't really touch on last time. I think because there was just so much going on that for sure we digressed. Yeah. But I'm wondering what your body acceptance journey has been like and how does it continue to evolve? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love that question. I love it for various reasons. One, just how you phrased it. And I think you've been such a beautiful example of this as well, of just the fact that it's a journey. I think answers the question almost in itself is that it's continuous, that it is ever changing and ever shifting and to be super gracious with yourself in that process. And so I think in this, you know, present day, I I like to answer with where am I in my body right now, today and in this moment. And I'm coming off of like almost two months of, of work and travel that's been really beautiful, but it also meant like my yoga practice was a little bit stagnant or inconsistent or not as fluid as I would have liked. So I'm on day two of yoga since just traveling a ton this month. And I'm like, I'm, it's like I'm reorienting with my body all over again, you know, and really having mm-hmm. to, to listen and to tap in. And sometimes I can push and challenge myself. And sometimes my body is very clearly like, no, we're going to do this child's pose and we're going to be okay with it, you know, and being really gentle with myself in that process. I'm like in, it just entered the 30 decade of life and that has brought its own um, body changes and body learning. And I'm just like, whoa, why is my back hurting like this? And so this season has been a lot of listening, you know, a lot of listening. Listening to my body, a lot of 
trusting that this home that's carried me for the last 30 years really knows what it what it's doing and, and what we need to be doing. And so I think I'm just in a really gracious space right now when it comes to my body. I think I'm in a very intentional space of just continuing to deeper that learning because I just, I want to always be able to hear when my body is speaking to me and to respond accordingly. And so I think the older we get, the more we need to tap into that. Yeah, I'm just, I'm fully in that I'm 30 and, and this is what showing up in my body looks like for me this month. And August was like a huge month of rest for me. I ended up taking a month off of social and it ended up being more so just a month of rest actually that I didn't necessarily intend for. And I needed it clearly because my body went into some full hibernation mode in the middle of summer and it was pretty glorious. So a lot of listening, a lot of relearning, if you will. And yeah, a lot of getting reacclimated with this body that sits in, that I'm sitting in, in this present day, in this moment right here and right now. Mm. The notorious unexplained back pain. Oh my god. <laughs> really that too. Yes. What, what you don't see is the exercise ball beneath my feet right now. <laughs> I love it. I love it so much. Yes. I'm like, is this what like, getting older is about? Yes. I have a um a yoga like the long log yoga pillow, and that's usually what I rest my my legs on. So it's like a little bit of elevation while I'm yeah. sitting at my desk as well. So I hear you. I'm right there with you. <laughs> I want to know more about your month of rest. But first, could you tell us more about like your yoga practice and or movement? Because yoga yeah. has been, just for me personally, I did lots of yoga when I was in the depths of my struggle. And then mm. I kind of learned to come back to it in a gentle way. And now I feel myself just getting stronger, not just physically, but mentally right. too. And one of the things about yoga that's so interesting, I suppose, or something to grapple with is when you fold your body in certain ways, mm -hmm. there will be certain folds in your body that might get in the way or you're feeling in a certain way. Absolutely. Do you know what I mean? And like sometimes even yeah. a certain position, I'm like, oh my goodness, my my little fat rolls are rubbing together. This feels <laughs> uncomfortable. But then when I really think about it, I'm like, does it feel uncomfortable or was I just trained to think that they're not supposed to, you know, touch or fold or expand? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I love. So I did my 200 hour teacher training last fall and I did that because I knew eventually I was like, I, I went in thinking I'm going to teach and I want to be a teacher and I want to help people practice yoga and all of that, you know, very lofty affirmations and all of that. And then I got into the, the 200 hour and it completely just, it wrecked my world in the best possible way. It it taught me so much, not only about the culture and the practice and the history of yoga, but the spirituality of it, the body aspect of it. And one of the first things that we are kind of shared with in our training is that yoga is, you are already yoga. And even in that phrasing, you are already yoga. I didn't say you are already doing yoga. You are already practicing yoga. You living and breathing and existing 
that's yoga. And yoga only became what we know for it to be today, the workout, the hot, sweaty rooms, the cute studios, the namastes, and all of that. It only became that gentrified version, in all honesty, because people liked the workout of it. But the whole point of yoga, the practice, the vinyasa, which is the flow, the movements, the shapes, that was only because they realized people can't just come into a room and meditate and be still, we have to exhaust their physical, like their physicality in order mm-hmm. for them to get to those last 10, five, seven minutes of savasana rest, right? So yoga in the practice of movement and vinyasa only exists so that we can get to the real work and the real work is resting. The real work is that moment when you're just laying on your mat, sweaty, body, rolled in all. And so yoga has been the one practice that I have, I came into it busy and all over the place. And it was the one place I could hear myself think clearly. I've written a lot of poems from a yoga mat. I have listened to myself more on my yoga mat because it's intimate. Like you said, there are some shapes that I can't present fully in comparison to other people, but that is fullness for me and my body. And really the whole point of a practice is that it's what is ease and comfort for you in this moment. And not a lot of studios and teachers teach that in our culture with how we present and show up with yoga uh, today, but it's something that I've been really conscious of. And even in my training, I I didn't want to learn from a you know, Eurocentric space. I wanted to learn from from women of color and immerse myself in the reality of where this history and where this comes from. But knowing you sitting here at our computers, that is yoga. You loving yourself and loving your partners and loving your family and being loved is yoga. The rest of it, that's vinyasa. That's a practice. But our daily living and breathing is yoga. And I think when we reorient that, I think it's just a lot of how we show up to the mat and in our bodies. I couldn't agree more. Do you happen to know what the Sanskrit, like literal translation of the word yoga is? Is it rest? Um, You know, that's a great question. I learned it at the beginning, but now I'm like, what is the actual? Oh, uh, of course. Yeah, it's yoke, actually. Now that I remember, it's unite. So it's the uniting of mind, body, and spirit. Mm. So it's almost like a, a Sanskrit of community. It's a language of connection. And so that's what yoga is. There's no movement. You know, there's no conversation yeah. about sweat, you know, and, and hot power fusion and sculpt. Like the, right. that's not even in the definition. The definition is to join, is to unite. And in the practice of divine union of the mind, body, and spirit is kind of is where that comes from. Yeah. Yeah, not to get too opinionated about it, but that kind of yoga boils my blood. Not saying that you can't oh, enjoy absolutely. it, but right. when I see it like on a lifetime fitness schedule, I'm like, oh, like just yes. call it something else, goddammit. <laughs> yeah, and it's been really interesting, like as I've 
I've had my teacher training in this very removed, not Eurocentric space. And then I'm, I'm practicing in a studio. It's all hot because my body just responds best to those heated flows. And I'm just, you know, honoring that. And, but it is a, it's a culture. It's the t-shirts and, and the language, if you will. And even in that, it's like, no, it's all vinyasa, which is just flow. And even being really gentle with a lot of, our training there is trauma informed. So giving consent to a lot of things, not soliciting information or modifications for people in their bodies, if that's what feels good for them. And I experienced that a lot of just teachers trying to help me get to this shape that looks like the rest of the class, but in my body, in my bigger black body, it's not going to look like that, you know, and I have to trust and honor that. No, this is this is where we're at today. And Godspeed, I could probably expand and continue to practice and get to the point where it looks a little different. But for me today, right now, this is what it looks like in my body. And uh, it's all vinyasa. We call it different things, but it's all a flow. It's all movement. And the goal is always just to get to rest. And I'll, I'll do that. I'll take longer savasana's time because I know how long we should be having it for. And I'm like, oh, we're still doing core? Absolutely not. And my legs go up the wall and I am now resting. You know, my practice is over. I've earned this. It can be such a gentle practice and such a kindness to ourselves if we if we really go at it with that mentality and that mindset. Mm, like you said, the real work is rest. When I, you know, had to take a break from yoga because hot yoga to me was like, in place of like fasted cardio after I binge ate all night. And so I was like, okay, I'm just going to go in the studio and sweat it out and then everything will be okay. And then I took some time off because I just couldn't do that to myself anymore. And when I moved to a new city, I found this yoga studio that was not only walking distance from my apartment, but the walk was like down the river and it was just a beautiful experience. And they had these rooftop yoga classes with a teacher who was a, I'm just going to say it like it is. I don't mean offense to it. I feel like I always have to put a disclaimer on this for our listeners, but she was a fat Chinese woman. And at the end of every class, she would play the ukulele and she would just Mm. like give herself so generously. And Mm. going to her classes was so healing, even though it was like a really short part of my recovery before I ended up moving. But just seeing her body do incredible, extraordinary things. And then beyond her body into like her music, her art, what she would say during the classes, the way that she would just show up was what really just started like healing me a little bit more. That's why it's so important to like show up as yourself. And that's, you know, you literally heal the world that way. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's beautiful. I love that. It's a perfect segue into speaking more about rest. And I want to know about your month of rest, what August has looked like for you. And P.S. Happy Autumn Equinox. Yes. And you also mentioned like a midsummer rest, which I absolutely love. So tell me more about that decision and what what you learned from it. Yeah. So I just found myself uh, in this comparison, this viral loop when it came to to social media and I was doing things out of sheer hopes of growing my my platform and and hopes of people seeing it and trying to understand this whole video world that we're in and <laughs> it was just this con- and I just woke up 
constantly thinking about it. I went to sleep constantly thinking about it or or making content out of everything. And I was exhausting myself. And I got to the point where I was like, I don't want to create out of this space. Like I, I became more of this social media storyteller within the pandemic because I wasn't on stages, because I wasn't traveling and, and doing poetry. And so social media became my full time. And the artist in me was like, screaming, if you will, for for just a break, for a pause, for a step off of the of the hamster wheel. And so I listened to that and there was a fellow author and poet and she usually does this uh, social sabbatical in August. And so she had posted about it and I was like, you know what? Yeah. That feels like a good idea. And like I said, initially, I just was going in it thinking I was just going to take a break from Instagram and from Twitter and from Facebook. And I deleted all the social medias. I took TikTok off my phone and it was like, okay. And I felt really good about it. I knew it was something I needed to do when it was really the only, the first day I kind of phantom went with my thumb to go click, to go click on Instagram that wasn't there. And after that, it was just like very out. I'm a very out of sight, out of mind kind of person. So once it was out of sight, out of mind, I allowed myself to like not document everything, to not have to feel like every time I left the house, it had to be something that looked somewhat picture worthy, you know, or allowing moments with my my partner to just be moments with my partner. And I still worked. I still responded to emails. I still did other things. I just lived life, you know, without documenting it all the time or without having something philosophical or inspirational to say about everything I was doing. And that turned into because I, had, I wasn't doing campaigns, I wasn't shooting content and I got permission. You know, I checked in with my management. I was like, hey, like I have nothing coming in, right? So like, can I like chill out in August? And they were so supportive and it was just so good. I slept in a lot more than I thought I was going to do because I didn't feel the pressure to need to like wake up early and work out and maybe even potentially get content during that workout. It was just like, no, I'm going to sleep in, you know, and that's what it's going to be. And I might move my body a little bit later and give myself the permission to do that. And it was just really, really good. I, I came back onto social in September and slowly it eased. And even now I think I'm, you know, still trying to keep that balance of having a mindset of showing up just as authentically as I always have in wanting to maintain that. And yeah, it was really healing and really necessary. And obviously work was still happening. I got an increase that I had to deny, you know, and say no to, because I was like, if you're willing to wait for me to post in September, then great. Or if you're willing to let this happen in September, awesome. And and a lot of them did it. And so I, okay, that is what it is. And yeah, it was like, obviously life was still happening and it's the middle of August and we're about to get into the holidays. So I think as a creative, it could be very fear mongering of like, no, I have to take every opportunity I can right now before everything kind of shuts down for the holidays and then builds back up. But I I really trusted that, you know, I was okay, that I'd done enough work throughout this year to allow myself to take this whole month off. I've never taken a month off. I need to do it more. And I, I think I will, you know, find a month each year to just to be, you know, to like work a little bit, but don't if I don't have to and give myself that permission in that space, which I know as a freelancer and as a creative, that's such a huge privilege that I was able to give myself and um, I really needed it. Yeah.
This episode is sponsored by Cozy Earth, because what better way to show yourself love than to upgrade your bedding and loungewear? If you're anything like me and go from hot to cold very quickly in your sleep, especially during that time of month, then you need their bedding because not only is it the softest thing I've ever slept on, but it's also temperature regulating and moisture wicking. Boyfriend and I have their sheet set, which looks and feels super luxe. We got it in the oat color and it goes very well with our bedroom aesthetic, if I do say so myself. All of their products are made from responsibly sourced viscose from bamboo, making them so soft it's like sleeping on a cloud. There's a reason why Cozy Earth has been featured on Oprah's Favorite Things four years in a row, and today they have kindly provided an exclusive offer for myself lovers, 35% off when you use the code MARY35 at checkout. Go to CozyEarth.com, treat yourself to the softest bedding and loungewear ever, and use code MARY35 at checkout. I love that it was August too, because I took my first social sabbatical August of 2020. I think it was Mm. right after we talked that year. I only did two weeks this year because one thing that I find, and I also feel like I kind of failed at resting, but I feel (laughs) like as soon as I give myself permission to not be on the apps, suddenly I have like these things I just want to share that aren't about like, you know, that style of like documenting this aesthetic thing that I'm going to be doing or whatever, but more so like a good message. So Mm -hmm. then I was like, I can't do this anymore. I have too much to say. I got to come back. Yeah. So I find that phenomenon really interesting. And I thank you for just highlighting how, well, I call it hijacking. I think that being a content creator on social media in particular just hijacks your brain in such a way where literally everything is content. Like sometimes I find myself getting dressed to do an OOTD or whatever the fuck, Mm -hmm. or, (laughs) you know, (laughs) eating a certain meal because I know the latte is going to look pretty in a picture or, you know what I mean? And before that hijacking came from my eating disorder and now this like brain hijacking is coming from like the constant need to just show some part of my life online, whether it's like glamorous and aesthetic or even not, like sometimes it's the emotional, vulnerable things. So I'm still trying to, you know, find my own balance with that Mm -hmm. too. Mm -hmm. And honestly, it's a lot of boundaries. Like we talk about boundaries with people, with relationships, but honestly, we need boundaries with social media. (laughs) You know, like we need boundaries with this like constant need to produce and to show up. And I think that was the biggest tension for me. I was like, oh, I'm not creating, you know, like as an artist, I was like, I'm not showing up creating, I'm showing up and producing. And that is a very different feeling and and not always a good one. And so I needed to figure out ways to come back to the creator in me, the artist in me, and maybe it's not content, you know, like maybe actually it doesn't need to be shared. And we've made such a culture of, of sharing just everything about ourselves and every moment about ourselves. And sometimes that needs to have a boundary in place, you know? And so I definitely needed to get to that point and just be more active in practicing it throughout the whole year in different ways, you know? I really relate to that. 
So shifting gears into your acting jobs, because Mm -hmm. I've actually had the pleasure of seeing you like literally on my TV, (laughs) on like a Hulu commercial. And one time I was sitting on the couch, this was like months ago too. So you've been at this for a while. Yeah, I think it was a TJ Maxx commercial and I was sitting on my couch. We were watching like something on Hulu, probably The Handmaid's Tale, Mm because what else is there to watch on Hulu? And I jumped up and I'm like, I know her. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. And I specifically wanted to ask, like, what do you love about acting? And what's something perhaps unexpected that you've learned about yourself or the industry? And I have a few actor friends who Mm -hmm. say that it can be tough on body image. And I just finished Jeanette McCurdy's new book, I'm Glad My Mom Died. Yeah, And that has been really eye-opening in terms of like how little control actors actually have and that they're literally just reading a script and mm-hmm. you're not necessarily in control of like the end result, which might be a little bit different than like your spoken word work or right. the creative work we do on social media. So I am just really curious about that and your experience with it. Yeah. So my background, I went to an arts high school and I studied theater there. And then I graduated and I went to college and I studied theater and psychology, thinking that I would do art therapy for kids. And then a lot of realism and self-doubts crept in and I dropped my theater major, kept it as a minor. And then it got down to like my tech classes and things like that. I was like, I don't need this. I'm not going to do this for my life anyway. So then I dropped it completely because I wanted to focus on psychology and that was going to be my real, my real job. But acting has always been back there. My first thing, I was just telling my my husband this, in seventh grade, I had a very wild history teacher. And for our history final assignment, we performed the Midsummer's Night's Dream. And I got to be Helena part two, because obviously in middle school, you have to you know share the wealth. And I was Helena part two. And I remember every part of being in that play. I remember memorizing my lines and walking around my house and talking in a British accent and annoying the mess out of my family. And something awakened in me. And then as I got through college and I started to to write more on my own, which is where my background comes from, I would write plays and monologues. And it felt a lot safer to process what I do in poetry now for myself in the perspective of other people because it wasn't as vulnerable and it wasn't as exposing. And then I got into more spoken word where I was sharing more stories about myself and more of my own journey. But it started from wanting to step into the shoes of other people and being vulnerable on behalf of them. And then that turned into poetry, which I love. It was still me on stage. It was still being able to share really vulnerable stories. They just were my own, but acting was was always there. And as I graduated, I did more poems and more events and things like that. And it got very hard to do both. And then this last year in COVID, I just felt like, okay, I'm writing my book I think I'm always going to be a writer. I think I've really established myself in this space. And now I think I have the space, the time, the resources to go back to my first love. And so I started taking more classes. I started to reach out to different agencies to see if I can get signed commercially. And I got signed in 2020 and booked a 
two commercials in 2020 and then started this year and booked five commercials <laughs> in January. Yes. So um, it's always been something I've loved. Like I am a storyteller through and through and acting is the first storytelling space I've ever fallen in love with. And having a background in psychology and, and just learning about why we are the way we are as humans and and how we're wired and why we're wired goes so much into that work. And so I'm in a space where I love doing commercials. I think they're super fun. It's helped my savings account, which has been amazing, but also I want to story tell more. And so I'm in a space of taking more classes and, and doing the workshops and everything and a few short films and things like that. But I want character work. I want to be, you know, I watched Woman King yesterday and I was like, all right, whatever the next version of this is, I'm getting a trainer and I'm going to be a warrior queen or I'm not, or I'm just going to be somewhere else with Viola Davis and that all is all that matters to me. So I also vowed that I would not miss another This Is Us opportunity. So whatever the next This Is Us is, I would like to be in that. So I know it's like a slow build. Like I think about the work I've done as a poet and as a writer and as a model and all those other worlds. And I'm ready to add actor to my drop down a little bit more seriously. So yeah. That's truly the coolest thing. What do you feel like is the, because you do so much, like definitely the epitome of (laughs) multi-hyphenate. Thank you. Yeah. And not to mention also like the underneath layer, which is a lot of it involves like entrepreneurship and business yeah. skills and like, you know, some of the unsexier things at least. Right, you know. right. For sure. So between like poetry, acting, voiceover work, public speaking, modeling, now book writing, yeah. what do you feel like is the golden thread, I guess, that links everything together if there mm. is one or if you're like, nope, these are just separate boxes, separate containers. And a second part of that question is, what's your advice to other people that might be multi-hyphenate or multi-passionate? Because you have this elegant way of not putting yourself in a box, but you also like don't explicitly say that. You just kind of walk (laughs) to the rhythm of your own drum. And it's super cool because I'm the kind of person that's like, I'm not putting myself in a box while I am stepping in said box. Right. Um, You just dance around the boxes, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So... Great question. I think the first part of that is if you're familiar with the Enneagram, I'm an Enneagram 4, so I do not believe in boxes. Um, The Enneagram 4s are described as they're the snowflakes of the world. We love to be a mystery, and yet we're also pretty open because we don't like to be misunderstood, but also at the same time, we like to be able to do different things. And, and there's this phrase called multipotentialite, and there's a TED Talk by, I think their name is Emily, and she talks about this term called multipotentialite. And it's like, well, what if you don't have just one calling or one purpose or or one career? Like, what if you do feel like you have all these pockets that you're good at? And for me, I've always envisioned all these different worlds that I see myself in and that I've put myself in and and that I've been given these opportunities to exist in and to call work and to call purpose as this like web almost. And so I kind of do this thing where I interlace my hands as this really foundational kind of web and I'm bouncing off of that. And it might be different. They might be different lengths, like our fingers are different lengths, different sizes. But ultimately, if you place those and interlace it together, it's this bouncing off pad. It's this launch pad, if you will. And Ultimately, I think the through line, like you said, is 
storytelling, whether that's through photos, whether that's helping people find, you know, home and, and presence in their own bodies, whether that's through poetry on a stage, whether that's an audio on a reel of me dancing to Beyonce, or that's me stepping into the shoes of another person and living and embodying their story. All of it, I think, is I just want to be a storyteller. I just want to be an artist in this world, no matter what lane or what vicinity it looks like. I think that is what I've been put here to do. And I guess I've been given to to share with the world. And so it definitely is, sometimes I feel very chaotic. I often refer to myself affectionately as a human tornado. I think, especially in this season, as I'm getting ready to like start talking about my book a little bit more. I'm in this point where I'm like, oh, I freaked out on a mentor. And I was like, are they going to take me seriously? You know, like, are they going to, are they going to understand what I'm trying to convey and who I am now in, in this author space? And so, and I think it ultimately just comes down to all of it is me at the end of the day. All of it is my heart and my intention, just showing up in different spaces and in different fields. And I kind of love that. I don't want to be pigeonholed into one space. I want to be able to taste and experience all these things that I love and that I'm passionate about, even if I do feel like a human tornado sometimes. (laughs) Yes, I couldn't relate more to that. Multi-potentialite is exactly the word that I was thinking because I recently watched the TED Talk by, you said their name was Emily, I think. Emily. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I'll link that in the show notes because it's so good. And one thing my geeky brain took out of that is that the gift in being a multi-potentialite is that we're very good at, and Emily didn't say this explicitly, but I think that we're very good at building on transferable skills. So You think that your, you know, hobby of flying pigeons isn't related to your job as an accountant, but there is something in there that your brain just links differently Mm -hmm. that makes you Mm -hmm. that much more better at both. So multi-potentialites, like our only work is to embrace it so that we can essentially optimize all the things that we do, even though every traditional course about business or leadership or marketing, right? With book marketing, people are like, do one thing, niche down, da 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 It goes yeah, against yeah. all of that. But in reality, like the gift is in there because we we basically like exponentially build on these mm-hmm. seemingly unrelated things. And then like you said, there's like this launch pad and we're able to like propel. Yes, exactly. I love the way you said that. And I think also like there's parts of us in everything we're doing, you know, like you're not, you're not drawn to it or you're not doing the work if there's not something in it that resonates or that helps you. And I think for me, it's like when I graduated college, I was doing some seemingly random stuff like working for this clothing subscription company that worked out of their house and were like steaming and boxing clothes. And then I'm going and taking pictures of those clothes for their website with my best friend. And like all of that, I'm like, what am I doing? This is like right after college. And now I realize how useful all of that has been working for myself and and creating content and working with brands and things like that. And and so I don't think anything is random, to be honest. I think I'm at a point in life where I'm just like, is it random or is it orchestrated? You know, like regardless, regardless of what it is, is it there to teach us? Is it there to grow us? Is it there to challenge us? 
Is it there to strengthen us? Is it there to encourage us? Is it there to inspire us? And I don't know if anything really is truly random and it's right. And that goes to what we do and how we find ourselves in these different worlds. And I think there's very serendipitous moments that are really tied into what we're doing. And there's something about what you're doing that is inspiring you in some way or teaching you something for something that will come up later. And you'll look back and be like, oh, right. Yeah. That's why I needed that. Or that's why I had that experience. Or that's why this, you know, occurred. And it just takes a moment to get to the space in which we can look back. So being patient and being gentle with ourselves in the process and the journey of it all. Yes, 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 yes. Can I ask if you were to put that into advice for somebody who wants to do one of or all of what you do, whether that's acting, poetry, voiceover, content creation, just Mm. anything kind of in that esoteric field, what would be your advice for somebody who just really wants to pursue their own path? Yeah, I would say, you know, for some reason, this makes me think of of Liz's speech. She said in her Emmy speech, like, I kept looking for someone to be as beautiful, as Black, as fat, as me, and I realized it had to be me. Mm. I wanted to see that representation. I wanted that to be a pave way that happened. And I didn't realize I had to break that mold. And so I truly believe in this concept of, of being, you know, pave makers, of, of being people who voyage to trek the trails that we now trek to this day. I, I think it's so fascinating going on hikes and looking at these trails that seem so ingrained in the ground, but somebody had to go that route first before it became a path that people could just so effortlessly follow. And so knowing that as you're paving, it was really hard because I wanted mentors. I wanted people I could look to and ask questions and there weren't a lot of people I could do that with, you know, and it was because I realized, oh, I'm I'm the one way of doing this, you know, so that people who come next, you know, can have somewhat of a representation of, well, they did it. So I know I can do it too. And we, we all do it in our own unique ways. And so I would say to keep voyaging, to keep pressing, if you can find people along the way to help you, please do. I've been very stubborn in this process and I and sometimes I wish I would have asked for help sooner. I now have help because I realize how important it is. Even if we are paving that path alone, I think there are still people that we need alongside us at the same time. And know that you're allowed to like, take breaks. You know, I think we get so stressed in that journey and in that space because we're thinking we have to match other people's time frame or match other people's bloom. And I was just thinking about this the other day about stunted growth. And we we talk about stunted growth in a sense of we're behind, but not stunted growth. And we're trying to force ourselves to get too far too fast. And that being an aspect of stunted growth as well. So don't stunt your growth just to achieve it looking like someone else or being like someone else's journey and have fun. I think like well, we're doing this work because hopefully we love it. We're paving these paths because hopefully we love it. And I hope you get to the point where it starts to not feel like work, where it's just this overwhelming sensation of like, I get to do this, you know, like this is my life. Like this is wild and beautiful and so crazy. And I'm so grateful 
And so have fun with it. If if nothing else, I think we need more people in this world who find joy in what they're doing and find purpose in the midst of that joy. I love perspective shifts like that, like about paving the way, like maybe that's your job. Maybe that's what you were meant to be here for. And mm. Also about stunted growth and the last little piece about like just having fun and not taking yourself too seriously. Right. I follow this creator who just basically teaches people how to use reels to market themselves. And she she was kind of harsh about it. And I think there's lots there, but it, it made me laugh and it just related. And she's like, y'all are getting too damn like bitter about this whole real thing. Like it can be so fucking fun. And she's like dancing and being all goofy and all that. And I try to remember that. And I love perspective shifts. Like, you know, the time is going to pass anyway. So you might as well like spend it kind of pursuing what you love. Like people who are like, I'm too old or I'm too this or I'm too that. Like, well, what would you otherwise be doing with your time? Right? Like watching Netflix, like what, what else would you be doing? And that's all valid and part of rest. And I love the piece about stunted growth. Gosh, I feel like <laughs> I feel like I I just couldn't relate to your heart more in your words. Mm-hmm. Yesterday, I really had to learn. I was recording the audiobook, and granted, sitting in a recording studio and perfectly reading words on the page is not the most fun. So yeah. I'm trying to like zip through it. And I realized the more I'm trying to zip through it, the more I'm stumbling, the more I'm, you know, Mm. even my producer's like, okay, we have to do it again because for audiobooks, you have to slow down. You have to slow down. You have to complete the sentence before starting a new one. And that was a big lesson for me. And just recording my own audiobook is some things you just have to sit and take them one word at a time, quite literally. Mm, yes. I love that. I love it. I love it. I love it. I'll do my audiobook in December. And I got this very long um breakdown of how to prepare. And I was like, oh God, I'm kind of I'm kind of scared now. And also just like my attitude of poetry sometimes is fast, you know. So just really I'm excited to challenge myself in that space, but I can only imagine just the learning that will come from the process. Yeah, like with the pacing, that was what was hardest for me in the poetry because I'm like, well, there are some things that need to be louder and some things that need to be faster. And and you know, there's different like spoken word things like that. But I think that with the audiobook, first of all, you're an absolute natural. (laughs) And (laughs) let me tell you this. So my producer was, he was so chill, honestly. He's like 22 years old. He's just recording. And the first time I recorded an audiobook, I had your similar experience where I got this whole thing about what to do, what not to do. Everything felt like just very rigid. And we went with a different recording studio this time. And I was like, hey, Jose, um, what do like narrators who do this full-time for a living like how do they sit what do they do and he goes on a chair (laughs) that was the answer he's like you know without saying what he was saying he's like you're overthinking it just read your book That is the best. That is the best. I love it. And just read your book. And it's like, I'm going to try to like have a moment where I'm like, okay, I'm sitting, I'm reading a story, you know, like try to find that person, you know, to like look at or to have a moment. But yeah, it's long. I don't know about how many days you're doing, I think, but I think mine is like scheduled like 10 to five for like two days, which is wild to me. 
wild. That's good. You might find that it it goes faster, but it's good to split up into two days because after like the four hour mark, you really start getting hoarse. For sure. Tell us more about your book, The Unfolding, and I want to know everything about it. Yeah. So it's called The Unfolding, and I started the process almost two years ago, which is really wild to think about. And a lot of the process has just been really um, eye-opening. It's a very vulnerable and like, you know, kind of lonely and weird space of just writing it. But it was something that really kind of flowed out of me. So the unfolding, an invitation to come home to yourself. And for me, I grew up in a really religious evangelical household. And a lot of my shaping and a lot of my growing was around that, was around being a person of faith, was around having a religious and and faith connection. And so much so to the point where I realized I, I didn't fully know the realness of who I was and how I showed up in the world. And in that changing and in that shifting, a lot of language is like, you're different. We don't know who you are anymore. You're just this different person. You're changed. And I didn't feel like I was changing more so than I felt like I was peeling back these layers that didn't serve anymore. I was peeling back these pieces of myself that were only me because of a conditioning that were only me because of how it looked for other people was only me because I am the queen of like, love me. Am I good? Am I doing the right thing? I lived within this concept of should and should not. And so the unfolding is realizing that we are changing and growing and evolving human beings. And then that it's okay. I break it up into five different phases, if you will. So what the unfolding process looks like for me, it was the awakening, the eclipsing, the mending, the illuminating, and the returning. In these five stages, what I experience in, there will be poetry and short essays, and then each chapter will end in reflection questions because I want it to get out of my story and for the readers to be able to enter into their own. So, Mm. yeah. What was the process like of reflecting on your life and writing about it? Mm-hmm. It was really hard. I feel like I'm really good at masking in poetry. I can say something without saying what I want to say fully, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know, I can paint a picture without being super vulnerable about what I'm painting a picture about. In this space, though, I had to get a little bit more clear, a little bit more concise, and a little not less story-oriented, but I had to explain the story, if you will. I had to indulge it a little bit more. And so though I have each section starts with an essay to explain what the phase is, what I experienced in that phase. And then the poems and the essays that you see thereafter are what I wrote in that season. And I think for me, I definitely had to come to the point where it was, okay, Certain people read this, you know, and they have some things to say about it. How do I respond? And I got to the point of I had to, I had to know who this was for. And I had to know that it was first and foremost for me, that none of it is not true to what I experienced 
or to my story I talk about in my advocacy of, you know, being body conscious and, and body affirming and body aware, which is not something we're always taught. But then a faith background, we actually are kind of raised to be disembodied, if you will. And that unlearning revoked some responses. And so I have a poem in there where I'm, I was compared to being a temple prostitute um, because I was leading people away to my body and away from God. Mm. And I put that piece in there. You know, I don't say who said that to me. I don't say where that comes from, but I'm, I'm honest with the fact that I experienced that and how I interpreted it. And I think that's probably one of my favorite poems in the book. And so, and I still identify as a person of faith. I just know that it looks really different. I believe that I want to attend a faith space and a faith community where queer people are not only tolerated, but invited. I never understood a lot of the language of like, oh, you can't love that person. You can't marry that person. I'm like, I don't don't get it, you know, like, or just a lot of the should and should nots that I grew up with. I was like, if this is freedom, why does it feel like we're shackled? <laughs> like, this doesn't make any sense to me. And so a lot of the poems come from that space. And yeah, I think this might be one of the most vulnerable things I think I've ever written. And I've had moments in the editing process where I'm like, do I take that out? <laughs> you know, like, do do I not put that in there? And I'm like, no, it, it served and and it's scary and it might be a little vulnerable, but all it is is that people might not like it. And so what, you know? So what if that is the case? And so having to definitely talk to my people pleaser and we're working through some things for sure. Yeah, more than likely, a lot of people will relate, especially, you know, people raised in religion or whether they left it or had to, like you, create their own definition and reality around it. I think that's going to resonate mm-hmm. with so many. Thank you so much, Ariel. Yeah, thank you. I'm so excited for your book to come out. So can we thank you. pre-order it now? You can actually pre-order it right now. I, we are a little bit past its live in active on my website. You can see the cover, which I'm very excited about. The artist Perrin was just incredible in helping me create this woman who is holding the sun, but also a part of the sun and allowing her own freedom to be in this space. And yeah, I hope that it is something that taps into each and every one of your stories. The reflection questions are, even if it's not my own story that you necessarily relate to, you find your own point of connection in whatever season of unfolding that you find yourself in because we're constantly evolving and we're constantly changing and peeling back these layers of of who we were in order to become. Hmm. Can I ask you to repeat those seasons of unfolding that are found in the book? Because I just love the title and all the words that you used. Yeah. So it's the eclipsing, the illuminating, the awaking, the mending, and the returning. So, so beautiful. I highly invite our listeners to go pre-order the book. Pre-ordering means that you're supporting the author early on and you'll be the first to receive the book when it's published, mm-hmm. which is really exciting because it's it's a really big day. And I am just congratulations for birthing your book, baby. Thank you. I'm very, I'm very excited. I'm ready for her to be out in the world. So thank you. Same here. Thank you so much, Arielle, for being on the show again. It's been an honor and a privilege. And I just, I feel so lucky to know you truly, whether I see you on TV or I'm reading your book or I'm scrolling past your posts, or hopefully I will get to experience you in person soon too. 
Thank you. Yes, I would love that. All right. Thank you all for listening. Talk to you soon. Hey, self-lovers, just one more thing before we farewell. If you've been enjoying the Mary's Cup of Tea podcast, I would greatly appreciate it if you could leave a review on Apple or rate the show on Spotify. Your feedback helps the podcast grow, and as someone whose love language is words of affirmation, your kind words mean the world to me. If you're listening on Apple, you can just scroll all the way down on the podcast homepage and at the bottom you will see a place to leave a review. And if you're listening on Spotify on the show's homepage, there will be a little star and clicking that star will let you send in your rating. Thank you so much for listening and helping me spread the gift of self-love. And speaking of the gift of self-love, make sure you pick up my book, which is available in stores and online worldwide. Just go to maryscupoftea.com slash book, and you'll find all the links to order the gift of self-love, whether that's on Amazon, Walmart, Target, small indie bookstores, and wherever else books are sold. Again, thank you so much for your endless support. Please always remember that you are loved. I love you. And I will talk to you next time on the Mary's Cup of Tea podcast. Toodaloo!